Good morning. Today I will be reading John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. How you answer it influences how you live and where you spend eternity. Amid much speculation, the Gospel of John gives us a clear picture. Jesus reveals his true identity. He tells us who he is in his own words. We are starting a new sermon series today called I Am in His Own Words. And as we do every time we start a sermon series, we have Discovery Bible Study bookmarks out in the lobby and on our church website. We hope that you'll take advantage of this great resource. Maybe you just want to read ahead and follow along with our sermon series. Maybe do a little journaling and prayer in your quiet time. Or even maybe better is to invite others to open up God's word with you and look at the texts that we are looking at throughout this series and ask the questions that are so good when it comes to building discipleship among us. Those are the Discovery Bible Study questions. So those are out in the lobby. I would encourage you to grab one of those and use it. It will be a blessing in your life. If you have a Bible, you might open it up to John chapter 7. We're going to be in chapter 7, 8, and 9. I'm not going to read all three chapters, don't worry, but we are going to be around that area. So John chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. Who do people say that I am? That's the question that Jesus asked. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 16. He asked it to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And that is a dangerous question, isn't it? Because it invites speculation. And there's a chance there could be misinformation based on the responses to that question about Jesus' identity. And in Matthew 16, that is certainly the case as they try to answer Jesus' question about who he is. But I want you to imagine that Jesus was with us today in the flesh and that Jesus asked that very same question. Who do people say that I am? How would you answer that question? It, it probably depends on, on who you talk to and who's answering the question as to how they answer the question, right? For some people, they would say, oh, we know you, Jesus. You are the spiritual Jesus. You're the Jesus that is against established religion and traditional churches and stuffy doctrine. You are the Jesus who wants us to be spiritual, to live out our truth in this world. That's who you are. You ask someone else and they'll say, we know who you are. You're the prosperity Jesus. You're the Jesus that, that offers abundant life and we want to take you up on that offer. And Jesus, we get to decide what abundance looks like. We want you to bless us with physical, material things. We want to name it and claim it. And Jesus, you're going to provide it for us. For others, they might say, yes, you are a touchdown, Jesus. <laughs> you make us run. You make athletes run faster and, and jump higher and score touchdowns, which is not too unlike the Philippians 4.13 out of context, Jesus 
the one who gives me strength to do anything, to climb any mountain, to ace any test, to get any job promotion, to do anything that I really set my mind to because you're going to give me strength to do that. For others, you are the political Jesus. You wave a flag, you think like me, you vote like me, and you tune in to the same news network that I watch. For others, you are the BFF Jesus. That's who I know who you are. BFF Jesus, you're my friend. You're my best friend. You sit at the coffee shop with me and we sip lattes and talk about life. And when I'm lonely and I need a friend, you put your arm around me and you're always there for me. Someone else says, I know who Jesus is. Judge Jesus. You go around turning over tables and putting sinners on blast. Others say, that's teacher Jesus. I know who he is. He teaches a lot of good things, a lot of good ethical things that we should probably listen to and other people should probably do. We could go on and on. Who do people say that Jesus is? You see, so often when we answer that question, we shape the identity of Jesus according to our needs and desires. We make Jesus out in our own image according to what we want Jesus to be. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe we could just let Jesus speak for himself. Maybe we can just let Jesus tell us who he is and we can submit to him. Because the truth is, what you say about Jesus and what I say about Jesus, it's not nearly as important as what Jesus says about Jesus. So in this sermon series, we're going to look at Jesus's I am statements. Jesus describing Jesus in his own words. And these are recorded in John's gospel. In fact, in John's gospel, 26 times Jesus uses those words, I am. And sometimes they are basically on their own. He is saying, I am. And that reveals to us his timeless authority, his connection to his father, the great I am. But many times in the Gospel of John, when he uses those two words, I am, it is clumped around seven different images, seven descriptions of who Jesus is. We're going to look at those images throughout this series because every one of those images of Jesus reveals part of his nature part of his character. And that's important for us because it shapes our theology, how we view God, how we view Jesus, which then informs our discipleship, how we live that out in everyday life. And so when we talk about Jesus's identity and who he is, it's an important question. John chapter eight is all about Jesus's identity. The tension is building with the religious leaders around Jesus who hear him, who see him, and they see him reveal the nature of God's kingdom, the true nature, and it goes against what they know and expect to be true. You see, they are waiting for the Messiah, but their Messiah is the Messiah that they have created based on their needs, their expectations. Jesus comes along and he says that he is the Messiah. He reveals the true nature of the kingdom and they can't really handle that. And so some of the people are wondering, is he the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? Is he from God or is he just a guy from Nazareth? Who is Jesus? So at the end of chapter seven, Jesus says this in verse 28. 
Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. Well, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, hear Jesus say these kinds of things, and they struggle with accepting Jesus' identity based on what Jesus says. How could he be from God? How could his teaching about himself really reveal teaching from the Messiah? And finally, Jesus makes it very clear. In chapter 8, verse 12, the theme verse for this message today Chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, you want to know who I am? Let me tell you, I am the light of the world. That is a theme that we understand, don't we? Light and darkness, timeless symbols describing good and evil. They're used throughout Scripture. You'll see it time and time again, light contrasted with darkness. It is a timeless metaphor and symbol of good and evil. We use it in our own art, even today, don't we? In our movies, in our literature, in our art, we understand the symbolism there. It's not a difficult metaphor to get our minds around. Light is good. Light illuminates. Light protects. Light shows the way. It reveals it pierces the night sky. But darkness, what does darkness do? It conceals. It hides. Darkness, that's where evil resides. Have you ever been scared of the dark? Some of you who have young children probably are dealing with that. You're scared of the dark. But when you're scared of the dark, all you have to do is turn on the light and everything changes, doesn't it? Now all of a sudden you can see and it's not so frightening, it's not so fearful. Have you ever been in a haunted house at Halloween and for whatever reason they have to turn the lights on? That's happened to me. It changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. You're no longer afraid. You look around and you see that, oh, this is fake blood. Oh, these are just props. Hey, isn't that Larry with the chainsaw? I know Larry. And the chainsaw doesn't even have a chain on it. This is not bad at all. You see, light changes everything when it pierces the darkness. We understand the symbolism there. And it's used throughout Scripture. And Jesus says, not just I am like a light. It's not just a symbol. It's not just a metaphor. What does Jesus say? I am the light. The light that comes into this world. You see, for Jesus, that's the way it's always been. From the very beginning, and John starts out in his very first chapter, and he tells us that. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John tells us right at the beginning that Jesus is coming into the world, and that means light is piercing the darkness. Light is available to show us the way, to illuminate the truth, to save us. Fast forward 
Jesus knows that his destiny at Calvary is coming up. He's trying to prepare the people for what's going to happen, that he's got to go to the cross and die for the sins of humankind and bring salvation. And I want you to notice how he refers to this in John chapter 12, verse 35. Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus says, I am the light and I'm only going to be with you in the flesh for a little bit longer. So now is the time to accept Jesus, to believe in Jesus. No, Jesus reveals his identity and it's different from what your expectations are but it's time to put your expectations and your desires and making Jesus into your image aside and receive Jesus and accept him for who he is the Messiah the light that comes into this world why did God send Jesus into this world because our dark world desperately needs the light isn't that true Do you look around you today and you think, man, this world is a dark place. We get those glimpses of light and we praise God for those. But we turn on the news or we go online and we see what's happening in places like Ukraine and we see war and we see violence, we see injustice, we see oppression all around us. We see pain, we see suffering, we see hypocrisy, we see pride, we see so many things that cause us to think this is a dark world. And God saw the same thing but he couldn't stand by and so he sent light into the world in the form of his son our savior and do you remember what John said about this light that was coming into the world no matter how dark you think this world is no matter how bad things get here's the truth darkness will never overcome the light Darkness will never overcome the light of the Lord. And that is good news. And that gives us hope. No matter how bad things seem to get, we know that darkness will never overcome the light. Back in chapter 8, when Jesus says he's the light of the world, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, hear this and and they say, that's a bold claim. You know, that's... That's pretty bold of you to say, Jesus. In fact, our law says for you to make a claim like that, you need to have two witnesses that can give testimony as to your identity. And I love what Jesus does. He says, okay, you need two witnesses? Here's two. Me, number one. My heavenly father, number two. (laughs) Well, you can imagine how that went over with these people who are already trying to control the situation, who already doubted who Jesus was as the Messiah and the Son of God. It didn't go over well. And I love what John does here. Inspired by the Lord, I love how he arranges this narrative, this text. He's taking us somewhere. Do you remember where he's taking us? At the end of John's gospel, maybe you've seen this before, he tells us the reason for his writing this story about Jesus. In chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I'm writing these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and having believed, you may have what? Life in his name. That's why John is writing this gospel story, inspired by the Lord. 
That's what is guiding his thoughts as he writes. It's also, I think, shaping how he puts things together. And so right here, at the end of chapter 8, he's building the tension. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The Pharisees say, wait a second, you can't say that. You need a couple of witnesses. You don't have the credibility. You need a couple of witnesses. Jesus says, I'm one. My heavenly Father is two. And they say, no, no, that won't work. And it's like John says, okay, you don't believe. You need proof. You don't think Jesus is who he says he is? Watch this. And so chapter 9 opens up. Verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's like John is saying, let me give you a microcosm of who Jesus is and why he came here, of what it means that the light is piercing the darkness. So what does the light of the world do in this case? He uses some saliva and some dirt. He makes a little bit of mud. He puts it on the guy's eyes. This guy can't see. He's been blind since birth. He sends him to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. He sends him there to wash his eyes. The guy does it, washes his eyes, and then what happens? The guy can see. He can see. An amazing story of bringing sight to the blind, of bringing light where there was darkness. Imagine just for a moment closing your eyes and then having a blindfold on top of that and then sitting in a dark room. Imagine how dark that would be. (laughs) You would literally not be able to see anything and what Jesus does is he comes into the room he takes off your blindfold he flips on the light he says open your eyes and now suddenly everything is different the people who knew this guy they weren't sure what happened isn't this the guy that we know that's been blind I think so do you think so I'm not sure and so they ask him and here's what he says in verse 11 the man they called Jesus he made some mud put it on my eyes he told me to go to Siloam and wash so I went and washed and then I could see and then I could see this man who was basically viewed as a conversation piece by everyone who walked by or maybe as a a poor victim of generational sin as he was observed by onlookers Jesus saw as an image bearer of God as a child of God as someone who needed help And so what did the light of the world do? He met this man where he was. He stepped down into darkness, as we just sang a moment ago. And he brought healing to this man. And he brought hope to this man. And he changed everything for this man. You see, that is what the light of the world is all about. That's why Jesus came here. That's why the light pierced the darkness to bring hope to bring healing to open our eyes to show us the way to forever change the condition of those who are lost in the dark that's who Jesus is and that's what he does earlier I said it's important that we ask this question about Jesus's identity it's important that we let Jesus tell us who he is 
And one of the reasons that's important is because that shapes our view of Jesus and then shapes our discipleship. Knowing who it is we follow shapes how we follow him. And in Romans 8, 29, we were told that we are being conformed into the image of his son. So that means something for us. We are being conformed into the image of the light of the world. What does that mean? Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 14. Maybe you've heard this before. You are the light of the world. Now, wait a second. Jesus, I thought you said that about yourself. He did. And now what does he say? He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No, glorify your Father in heaven. That people may be drawn to God as you let your light shine. You see, here's the truth. The more we reflect the image of the sun, the more we will be likely to let his light shine in this world. Now that word you can see, sun, is S-O-N. You might think, is that a typo? Shouldn't it be S-U-N, the sun? No. The more we begin to reflect the image of the sun, the more we will let his light shine in this world. The more we will bring healing and hope to the world. The more we will try to open people's eyes to the truth and the grace of the gospel. We are called to be lights in this dark world, reflecting his goodness, his glory, his grace, and his gospel, illuminating the way to salvation, being a beacon of hope in this dark world. We are to let our lights shine before others so they may see God in us, so they may see Christ in us and be drawn to him to give him praise and glory, certainly not us. And that's what Commission Sunday is all about. That's why we take the time to acknowledge what God is doing through our mission efforts here. It's not us doing it. It's God doing it through us so that he receives the glory. We are trying to be lights in this dark world. And that's why we enlist and empower missionaries around the world. They are extensions of us. They are ambassadors of the gospel. God is working through them to bring light into their communities, to bring hope, to bring spiritual healing that is so much needed. And just as we need them, they need us. And so the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to spend some time praying for our missionaries. Will you do that? Like I said before, sometimes our missionaries, it's just names on a piece of paper. It's pictures on a screen. These are real people with real needs and real challenges and real opportunities. In this week's bulletin, go back and look at it. Maybe you haven't had a chance to read it. I know many of you, as soon as it pops into your in inbox, you read it word to word. I know, right? I know that's not true. But go back and look at it because in the bulletin, there is a list of all the prayer requests from our missionaries. We said, hey, what can we pray about for you? 
and many of them wrote us back and they have very specific requests about themselves, their families, the communities they're working with, their church, all of these things. Maybe you, you print that out or you, you put that on the iPad and gather around the table or the couch or the TV or whatever and, and spend some time praying for our missionaries. You heard in the video at the beginning how much they appreciate our prayers and support. Surely we can find time to lift them up in prayer as they spread the gospel, as they shine the light of the Lord throughout this dark world. The second thing we're going to ask you to do is to give sacrificially. Let your resources reveal what's important to you. That's what we try to do as a congregation. Do you understand the amount, the percentage of our church financial plan that goes toward missions, mission projects, mission trips, supporting our missionaries, it is astonishing. And what that says is, and you know, we tell young couples, you know, when you're making financial plans, we tell young professionals when you're making financial plans, how you use your money, how you use your time, how you use your energy, all of these things reveal what's important to you. They reveal your values. There's no way around that. That's just the, that's just the truth. As a congregation, we value mission work. And I hope you do. Because it is one of the ways that God is using us to be a city on a hill. To be beams and beacons of hope and light in this world. Many of you have probably already given today. Or maybe like me, you schedule it online. It's so convenient. You do that and that's, that's great. But if you haven't given, or maybe you feel moved to give more then I would encourage you to do that today before you leave. You can use that QR code on the screen. The text, the text way is really easy, especially if you're already in the system. There's boxes out in the lobby. Find a way, give sacrificially so that we can continue to support missionaries and send trips like the one we prayed over today into the world. God is actively working among these people and these groups in these places to shine his light into this dark world. In many ways, your prayers and your sacrificial gifts, they are like fuel keeping the lights on all around the world. So I would encourage you to do that. As I watched that Mexico video in the welcome of them saying thanks, the second one was in what looked like to me someone's house, someone's probably cinder block house in La Union, a little village up in the mountains. Many of us have been there. They're gathered around, and did you notice the little light bulb just hanging down? Dark room, one little light bulb, and this beam of light. And I thought, that's, that's so symbolic. And here they are, huddled in this little dark room with one little light bulb, just pouring out thanks. So many smiles on their faces because of what God is doing among them. Let your light shine. We want to pause and Remember that it's God who's doing this. So we want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving and blessing over our offering and over the people who are shining the light of the Lord. Let's, let's join together in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. God, we thank you for the gospel, the story of Jesus. That's not just a story, it's real. And it saves us. And it brings us hope. 
and it brings us spiritual healing because the light pierced the darkness. Good has overcome evil, and darkness will never overcome your light and your love. And for that, we give thanks. That is our message, Lord. Put that message in our hearts and on our lips as we leave this place, as we go into the world, as we support missionaries, as they do their work. Father, I pray that you would let your light shine in us and through us. We lift our missionaries up to you. We pray for provision for them, for protection for them, for strength and comfort, for guidance. God, be with them as they are on the front lines. Father, we pray for every penny, every dollar given today and this week for Commission Sunday, that you would be honored and receive glory for what is done with those funds, that they would be used to support the spreading of the gospel. We thank you for the blessings that enable us to give today. We thank you for the generous and cheerful, cheerful hearts that are giving today. And Father, we give all of our thanks in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen. You know, so many times, even though the light has come into the world, people don't recognize the light, or they shun the light, or they prefer to be in the dark corners of the world. Jesus said, this is the way it would be. Back in John chapter 1, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the tragic part of the story, that the light came into the world, and yet some people refused to see the light. They refused to accept Jesus, to put their faith in him. I wonder, as I think about our role, as I think about my role, can the world see the light in us? Can the world see this light that Jesus says we are, this reflection of his glory, of his goodness, of his grace? Can they see that? Or am I doing some things? Are we doing some things that block their view, that block their vision, that keep them from seeing the light, which keeps them from receiving and walking in the light? I think that's a very important question. A couple of years ago, my wife, Carrie Ann, took our dog outside before bedtime to take care of business, and she came back in, and she says, I think there's a fire outside the field, out in the field behind our house. And I said, what? She said, yeah, it looks like there's a fire back there. We have this undeveloped area behind our back fence. It's just brush and wood and trees, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's pretty dense, but there's a little there's a little drainage pond back there too. And, and so she said, I think there's a fire. So I grabbed the binoculars and I ran outside. We both went outside and we're looking and sure enough, that looks like a fire. And it looked like burning embers. The trees were kind of swaying a little bit, but as you saw through the trees, it looked like burning embers. You know, at the bottom of a campfire and they just kind of glow and almost move. We couldn't see flames and so that was kind of weird. Maybe it was a, a grass fire that was spreading and that sounded dangerous or maybe someone, I guess, had gone out there and had a campfire. We didn't know. We couldn't really see, we couldn't really tell. So 
we had to get to the bottom of this. We didn't want to go traipsing through the jungle out there. And so 10.30 at night, we load up in the car. We drive out of our neighborhood, way around to the other side of the undeveloped area, get on a dirt road, drive as far as we can drive on the dirt road, and we come to a part where we get out of the car and we start looking around. We didn't see fire, but it dawned on us what it was. There was a huge orange glowing street light and that light was shining perfectly onto that little drainage pond and that orange light was reflecting from that pond to the back of our house and that's what we were seeing and what looked like burning embers was the wind blowing that pond making it ripple a little bit changing the refraction of the light we thought this through I mean we had to find out and so there wasn't a fire the mystery was solved and we went back and went to bed and felt much better about our house not burning down at least that night you know so often in life there are things that block our view of the light we get a glimpse here and there but we're not sure if that's it and how tragic it would be if we the called out people of God the ones who are to be the light how tragic it would be if we are doing things that block people's vision of the light of the Lord if somehow we are getting in the way of people seeing and receiving the light how tragic that would be can the world see the light in us we must continue to shine the light of the Lord it is our calling it is our privilege It is a blessing and an opportunity that God has given us each and every day. And we do that, yes, through missionaries and mission trips, but we must do that right here, right now, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in this community. We must let our light shine. This morning, if you have not seen the light, it's time to open your eyes. Let Jesus open your eyes. Let the light pierce the darkness. And realize who Jesus is. Express your faith in him as the one who is the light that came into this world. Be baptized into Christ, confessing your faith. Live your life in the light. Walk in the light. If you want to do that today, we would love to celebrate with you. If we can pray for you, encourage you, we want to do that as well. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor, a little room right behind me. In just a minute, you can go there. Before you go home, just stop in there, say hi, let them pray over you. They would love to do that. Or you can come down to the front and we'll lift you up in prayer and encourage you today. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Oh.